Welcome to The Conscious Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Alex Raymond. This is the only podcast that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. Now, I know that being an entrepreneur is a long journey and it can be really tough. So on this show, we won't be sharing generic hero stories or talking about mythical unicorns. Instead, we'll get straight to the heart of what matters most, giving you tools and resources to grow, thrive, and succeed as an entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with incredible founders, CEOs, coaches, and authors to help you be more resilient and inspired as you build the business of your dreams. Welcome back to the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast, where we explore the journeys, insights, and experiences of some of today's most inspiring and innovative leaders in the world of entrepreneurship. Today, we're taking a step outside the conventional office setting and diving into the world of business outside with our special guest, Bart Foster. Bart is not just an entrepreneur. He is a visionary who has embraced the power of nature and the great outdoors to transform the way we think about work, creativity, and personal growth. In his book, Business Outside, Bart shares his journey from leading companies in a traditional corporate setting to discovering the immense benefits of connecting with nature and authentic self-discovery. In this episode, we'll explore the pivotal moments that led Bart to his unique philosophy, the transformative power of nature on our work and well-being, and how stepping outside our comfort zones can lead to profound personal and professional growth. So let's get ready to step outside, both literally and metaphorically, with Bart Foster on the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, Bart Foster, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining The Conscious Entrepreneur. Good to see you, Alex. Great to be here. This is going to be a lively conversation because this allows us to get outside of our comfort zones. There's so much talk these days about well-being in the entrepreneurial circuit and so many companies offering support or they're doing uh, telehealth and becoming employee benefits. Uh, and you approach this from a very different perspective. Your prescription, so to speak, seems remarkably simple uh, and something very doable and something that we should all be very enthusiastic about. Tell us about the benefits of spending more time outdoors, of doing business outside, as you call it. Yeah, it's... um. You know, it started, I'll give you the origin. And, you know, I moved to Boulder about nine years ago and I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. And we'll go into some of the history and like how I got here and everything. But I, I had some trauma and I kind of lost my personal identity and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I reached out to a number of entrepreneurs and business owners and people in YPO. And I would say, hey, can you meet for coffee or lunch? And this one woman, you might know her, her name's Elizabeth Krause. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she said, I don't do coffee or lunch. She said, meet me at the trailhead and we'll go for a walk. Okay. And I remember telling my wife, like, this is so weird. I don't know what to wear. Like, I'm going on a hiking meeting, right? <laughs> but something special happened that day because I'm walking shoulder to shoulder and I'm more authentic and I'm more vulnerable. And I turned to Elizabeth in the middle of the hike and I said, you know, I got forced out of the company I founded. And I thought for sure she'd go. Oh my gosh, like what? And she just kept walking. She's like, oh yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> and I just felt, I felt more alive. I felt heard. And mm. I got home and I told my wife and I was so excited. And that became my default. And I, entrepreneurs would say, hey, can, can I pick your brain? Can I meet you for coffee? Can I, 
And I'd say, meet me in my house and we'll go for a walk. Mm-hmm. And we'd walk up Sanitas and we, you know, as you know, we're here in Boulder and that became something that I just did. And what I've realized, this goes to your question is I realized when I'm outside, I'm more creative. I'm more authentic. I'm more innovative. Uh, I feel happier. I feel uh, more alive. I feel more energetic. And then when Zoom, you know, when, when we started getting these Zoom calls and then COVID hit, all of a sudden things kind of took off and I put a business together. We'll, we'll talk about that. But, but that, that was the origin. So Bart, tell me a little bit more about what you just said there to Elizabeth in your first walking meeting. What was it that was going on in your life that had motivated these big changes for you coming out here? And, uh, and what, where were you in that transition? So I was in Atlanta. Uh, I was an entrepreneur. I was inside a company called Novartis that, um, that I, and I spun out of business that I ran for seven years. We put those health kiosks. You may have seen like the blood pressure machines in Walmart and Safeway. Yeah. Yeah. That was my company. And, uh, we raised 50 million in capital. We scaled it 4,000 locations and I felt really on top of the world. Um, a couple months before I got a call from my chairman and he asked, how big do you want this company to get? And we went to breakfast. We went to the flying biscuit. It's this place in Atlanta. And, you know, I shared with him a number and he said, Bart, he said, every once in a while, he see a company that has all the makings of going public. And this is one of those times. And he said, but you're not the guy to run it. And long story short, and we go into more detail, but I got forced out of the company that I founded. And I felt, I remember the emotions and I got in my car and I just, I, I was crying. and. I felt alone and embarrassed. I felt pissed off and angry. I felt betrayed. And yeah, that put me on a a whole new path. And uh, there's a lot of details around it. And it took a few months and I ended up staying on the board for a couple of years. But uh, I got some really good advice. And I actually went to a YPO meeting and there were two resources. Uh, The first was this guy, Tommy Newberry, he's a life coach and he te- he's, uh, he's based in Atlanta, but we were up in Cape Cod and he put up a slide and it said, how many spring breaks and summers do you have left before your oldest goes to college? And my wife and I were like, holy shit, like eight years, eight spring breaks. Like life's really short, like go do it, you know? And now as, I, as I'm telling this story, like my daughter's in college, that, that's over. And uh-huh. I got one more with my son. So it, that was a long time ago. The very next resource though, Alex, and this is relevant, is this guy, Jim Sharp, and he teaches at Harvard Business School with his wife, and they, they teach how to find a business to buy. Because I thought, maybe I'll buy a business. Okay. And of all the things he said, he said, uh, he called it the zip code strategy. He said, there's companies all over the world, different sizes, different geography, different culture. He said, pick where you want to live first, and then you'll figure it out. And that night, my wife and I sat in bed, and it was. She's like, "We don't have any ties to Atlanta. Like, why are we here?" And we started googling like best place to raise a family and healthiest cities and best cities for entrepreneurs and all these things. And Boulder, Colorado, we didn't know was on the top of all these lists. That, and we had we didn't know anyone that lived here. We we had never been here. Um, and we came out in the summer of 2014. It was July sixth. And somebody said, go to the rooftop of the Rio mm-hmm. 
and we got a margarita and we were with our kids and we just looked and said, God, this is it. And the original plan was I was going to take a few months or take a year and commute back and forth. And like, if we're going to do this, like, let's figure out what I want to do for work. And my wife, who's, who's really not that spontaneous. And she said, look, if we're going to do this, I don't want to be in limbo for a year. Let's, let's get the kids in school in August. Mm, wow. And Alex, we went back to Atlanta. We sold half our shit and we moved out two and a half weeks later. Well done. And that was nine years ago. Okay. And probably a month after that is when I went on this hike with Elizabeth. And I shared with her, and it was probably the, one of the first people in Boulder that I shared that, you know, I was forced out of the company I founded. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I want to highlight there just uh, how much the relationship can bloom when you are vulnerable first. And you and I have talked about this before, but, you know, you set something up, you set a, uh, uh, you kind of, you send a message and you're modeling certain behavior when you do that. Probably felt very uncomfortable the first few times that you were phrasing it like that because there's lots of ways that you could have sugarcoated what had happened sure. at the company. Um, but you're a big proponent of getting vulnerable and getting into those what you call the 10% zones and the 5% zones when it comes to real authentic communication. You got right? it, man. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking the language. Yeah. If you think about a bell curve, right, the people that are listening, think about a bell curve. 70% of the conversations that we have in life are right in the middle. How's your weather? How's your job? How's your kids? How you, you know, We should catch up sometime. That's a cool car. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Like for the most part, nobody cares. Mm. Right? They just don't. But it's that small. That's where everyone stays. But it's the 10% on each side of that bell curve, positive and negative. You get a little bit deeper. You get to the feeling, the emotion. I'm mad. I'm scared. I'm pissed off. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm happy. And then the 5%, the tail at the very end, that's where we rarely go. Maybe a really close friend, a spouse. Sometimes it's trauma. But what I learned is if I can go deeper, quicker, it gives other people the permission. You know, So I'll start and I'll give an example. It's like I'm, I'm Bart. I, I, I wrote a book last year. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I have two kids, 18 and 20. I love to open water swim. I love to hike. I have this company called Business Outside. Nobody cares, right? But if you really knew me, and if I went deep and we were on a hike, I'd say, you know, I got a senior in high school, and I think I've watched him play 750 basketball games. And uh, he's a starting point guard. He's been on varsity for four years, and uh, I have 13 more games left. And it makes me sad. Yeah, and I'm going to be an empty nester really soon. And uh, that's the 10%. And then at the 5%, I would say I got forced out of the company I founded. But I went there first, right? Mm -hmm. Because in this podcast, I wanted to demonstrate. But you see the difference, right? The 70-10-5. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so so many of us are conditioned to to kind of think in terms of small talk and transactional relationships. And one of the things that, that we do, and you know this because you were there at the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit, is really try to encourage that 10% and 5% conversation. And you'll even remember there are folks up on stage, right, in, a bit in front of an audience of 200 people, really sharing some of that stuff that belongs in the, the, that's in the 5 and 10%. It was a great event. And yes, you foster this. This is why I wanted to come on this podcast, why I'm a big proponent of the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit and what you're trying to build. because. It's lonely, right? And we often feel that we have to put up this mask and this veneer and 
I'm raising capital and, and all these things. And it's hard. It's really, really hard to be an entrepreneur and it's lonely. And the external people that are in these big companies, I call them, I call them uh, corporate fuddy-duddies. Mm-hmm. I, I was one, right? But a lot of these strategic sitting in corporate venture, they've never sat in, these, in your shoes. And when they say, hey, we'll get back to you a few months from now. It's like, shit, I might be out of money in three right. months. Come on. But it's like, we don't get it. So when we can, and we can band together as a tribe, and that's what I think you're creating. Mm-hmm. And the whole mental health, it's a big, it's a big deal. So I'm glad. Yeah, I, I'm a big deal. I got, I got, uh, I got a lot of inspiration uh, in terms of, you know, what we do at Conscious Entrepreneur for my own journey. So like, I've lived it, I've been there. And, I, and I'm always attracted to find people who can share real personal stories, real personal insights into what it's like uh, as an entrepreneur. Tell us, kind of, I, want, I want to back up even more. Tell us more about your, the process of starting this company, raising capital, being a CEO. I know it was, it was sort of intrapreneurship, uh, as they call it, within the company. Tell us about how, how all that worked and what you learned in the seven years up to the point where you were no longer involved. Oh, the former business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was inside Novartis. I was in the contact lens division. I was selling contact lenses. Uh, I happened to be living in the UK. I was doing an international assignment and Walmart was my biggest customer. And Walmart said, you're the leader in contact lenses. Help us figure out a way to drive traffic from the store into the vision center. Because all the Walmarts have these vision centers, but only 13% of the people that shop the store even knew they had a vision center. So they had a big awareness problem. And I'm in Birmingham, England. I'm sitting in the back of the room. It's 2004. And we had Glenn Denning and did this big category management initiative. These consultants are on the whiteboard. And I remember it was like yesterday. I I raised my hand. I said, guys, what if we had a kiosk? You know, screen your vision. And and instead of like, what's better, one or two, like, we'll just dial it in. You do it yourself and it'll print a report. And it was so clear to me. And that was a light bulb moment. Uh, They wrote it on the whiteboard. They're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And I was like, no, no, like, that's the idea. And I, 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 I locked in. I wrote the base of the business plan, started communicating back and forth with the corporate um, venture folks and the general counsel. Uh, they filed a patent in my name, and I was super excited and got to move back to the U.S., started working on it. And um, yeah, I was an entrepreneur. It was never a full-time job. It was always a passion project. Oh, okay. Uh, but I was able to um, cobble together some internal funding, got some support from the board, and then eventually... Uh, and there's, there's a whole other story that's really fascinating if anyone's interested in corporate venture and how to spend something out of a company. Uh, but I was actually only one of the only people that ever out licensed from Novartis. And uh, we spun out a business called Solo Health. I started October 1st of 2007. And I was employee number one. And uh, I learned really quickly it's hard. It's really hard. And uh, but I was able to raise, I think, $1.8 million in the first, say, six or nine months. And that got us kind of off to the races a little bit. And, yeah, there's some cool stories about Walmart and how we actually pivoted into what became the Solo Health Station that I'd be happy to share. Wow. And so you went – so what, what, were the, what were the foundations of that pivot? That's a big, that's a big topic for people is, you know, how do I know when I'm on target? How do I know when I need to shift or change or what's sure. going on out there? Yeah. So we had vision kiosks. We put them in a hundred locations. We test, test first control stores. We knew these things worked. Like people went in, they got an eye exam. 
uh, or sorry, they get their test and then we drive them in to get an eye exam. It didn't scale. It didn't work. Mm. It didn't work because the American Optometric Association, who I found out is one of the most powerful lobbies outside the NRA, they didn't want this to work. And the eye doctors were scared shitless. We're going to replace them. So they did everything to, to not make it successful. And it was a referral model. Like we were trying to send them business and, but we had a pocket success and that was in Walmart. And we went up, I went up in 2008 and I had all this data test versus control. And we showed that in, in stores, in Walmart stores that had a kiosk, sales of optical products were 20% more than the stores that didn't. And I was so confident. I went up and I go to Walmart, Bentonville, Arkansas, and I meet with Dr. John Aguinobi. He's the head of health and wellness. He's the first MD ever hired at Walmart. And there's 14 other VPs in the room. And he said, hey, Bart, before we start, he's like, um, how big is the whole vision industry? Like the whole thing. And I said, well, between contact lenses and glasses and services, the whole $28.5 billion. He's like, okay. He's like, because you know that the Walmart optical business is underneath health and wellness, which also includes pharmacy, right? I said, well, yeah. He said, Bart, do you know how big my, my Walmart pharmacy business is? I said, no. He said, 32 billion. He said, so what floats your boat doesn't float mine? He said, in fact, I don't give two shits about vision. That's what he said. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, this isn't going very well. And he said, uh, and you know that in cap you're taking up at the end of the aisle? He said, it's worth a billion dollars a year. You should be paying me to be there. And I was like, what? And he said, Bart, I don't care if we put chapstick, Doritos, lip balm. He said, 140 million people a week shop my stores. And he said, so, and I, I've got my tail between my legs. I'm like, holy shit, this is not good. And I, I had spent all my money. Like we were out of money. And he said, but listen, I like you. I like what you're doing. He said, you know, that old outdated blood pressure machine in the corner. He's like, I hate it. It's not networked. People are spilling milkshakes on it. Half of the thing time doesn't work. He said, but my operations team won't let me get rid of it because he said, we've done a lot of surveys. It's the number one loyalty driver in pharmacy. He said, Betty comes in every Wednesday and she gets her blood pressure taken. And if it's not there, she's going to go to Walgreens. We can't have that. He said, so have you ever thought about like combining the two, like vision and blood pressure? And I just lit up. I'm like, John, that's why I named the company Solo Health. It's, it's yes. Like, yeah. And I said, would you, and I thought this was really smart. I said, John, would you consider funding the R&D in exchange for exclusivity? Like, I won't go to Target. Like, we'll do it with you. And he just leaned back. He like puts his arms. He's like, no. It's like, Bart, we're Walmart. He said, I'm just going to tell NCR and Diebold and, and IBM and all of them. That's what I want. And the first people that bring it to me. I was devastated, man. I got yeah. in the car. I almost wanted to cry, but I, I pull out my phone. And I had eight text messages from my investors and my board. How'd the meeting go? Are we oh, going to yeah. scale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My stomach was just in knots, man. I fly in. My COO picks me up at the airport and he says, hey, I know it was a tough meeting, whatever. He's like, this might be a long shot, but I got to tell you, we found this grant through the federal government. It's this Obamacare stuff. And he's like, it's for $1.2 million. And I think we're kind of doing what they want. It's using medical technology to educate 
you know, underperforming populations and things. And long story short, Alex, we applied for this grant. We got it, fast-tracked it. We put our head down, didn't talk to anybody for a year and a half and built the solar health station. And we went back to Walmart. We piloted in the summer of 2012. I got a call that I waited for for four years. And they said, your pilot exceeded our expectations. How soon can you be in 4,000 stores? Dang. And then it, it took off from there and it changed my life. But it, uh, you know, we brought in Redbox. You remember those guys? In fact, the, the CEO lives here now, Greg Kaplan, lives here in Boulder. And uh, we've, we've reunited. And he was one of my first investors, led our Series A. And uh, Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield came in. Dell and Michael Dell got involved personally. We had uh, $25 million in debt from Dell. And, and we scaled. And in the summer of 2012, we were deploying 50 units a day all over the country. Mm, wow. And it was so exciting. And then fast forward two years later, and uh, they wanted to go a little bit bigger, and I wasn't the guy to run it. Block your calendars for June 4th and 5th for the 2024 Conscious Entrepreneur Summit. Coming back to Boulder, Colorado, and now in its third year, the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit is the only in-person event that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. This is not your normal startup or leadership conference. We won't be talking about how to build a business plan, how to market or sell your product, or how to raise money. We also won't be talking about Bitcoin or AI. What we will talk about, though, are topics that are absolutely critical for you along your journey as an entrepreneur. Things like overcoming imposter syndrome, avoiding burnout, building resilience, and taking responsibility in your life. It's going to be a fantastic two days, and I would love for you to join us in June. Check out our website, which is ConsciousEntrepreneur.us, for more information. What an incredible story. Uh, it's so interesting to hear the background, the pivot, uh, the ups and downs, which is, which is something that every entrepreneur goes through, these massive swings and, and ups and downs. And so, so how did you then, besides liking Boulder for quality of life and, and the zip code strategy that you mentioned earlier, so how do you then transition into supporting other entrepreneurs, supporting other companies with business outside? So it started, uh, Alex, I... I still had a lot of connections in the optical industry, eye care. And I thought about, you know, maybe I'll do some consulting. And I was working with some of the bigger companies because they wanted to be more innovative. They saw what I did and they, they wanted that. At the same time, entrepreneurs were calling me and said, hey, I'm doing this work and it's kind of similar to what you do. Or how did you raise money? And they were all asking the same questions. Mm. And I decided that I was going to create an innovation summit. And I wanted to create an event that I always wanted to go to that just didn't exist. And what we did, we started this six years ago. We invited 40 C-level executives from big companies. And then I handpicked eight startups. And what was unique, though, is I had the startups come and they presented their biggest challenge. And I got them to be vulnerable. So it wasn't pitching for money. It was like, hey, I'm trying to get a connection here. And then I asked the big company folks, I said, hey, of the eight companies you saw present, who are the three that you think you can help the most? And then we went and had rooftop dinner the next morning. They wait, they come. And we had almost like a mini shark tank, but I got people to be vulnerable. We got them outside, we walked, and all of a sudden, you could just feel it. The energy was different. And that put me on this journey of, hey, I wonder if there's a different way to do business. 
And when COVID hit, I'm on my fifth Zoom call of the day. I'm looking outside and it was 70 degrees and sunny. And I'm like, has this brain fog. I'm like, what am I doing? And I, I texted the two last calls I had of the day. And I said, hey, I'm going to go outside for a walk. And I hope it's not weird. But would you mind if we just, and they said, actually, I'll do the same thing. And we walked and we were talking. And all of a sudden, I was more alive. And uh, it was, that was kind of when Business Outside was born. And originally, Alex, I was just going to write a column and, and maybe go to Outside Magazine and say, hey, I'll write a column. It's called Business Outside. And my buddy Anthony here in town, he's like, no, no, don't do that. He's like, they're just going to take the idea. He's like, go get the trademark. And I was like, you can't trademark Business Outside. And we did. Um, and what he helped me realize is that it's not just outside of nature. It's out of your comfort zone. And it's outside of corporate norms. It's doing things a little bit differently. And a big part of this, and it'll circle back to what your question was, is it's about breaking down the walls and being vulnerable and being real and authentic. Because as humans, we all want the same things. We want to feel heard. We want to feel valued. And when you're outside and clothing doesn't matter and you're walking shoulder to shoulder, and I like to say motion creates emotion. And all of a sudden, the hierarchy goes away, and you realize we're, we're not human resources. We're humans. And we're not colleagues and coworkers. We're mothers and fathers and caregivers. And when we get to know each other as humans, that's when the magic happens. Nice. And so you start doing these, and you think, hey, that, that, worked, that worked, and and you evolved into making that a core practice of what you do. I mean, I've been, I've been on your... On, on these hikes, I've, I know a lot of people in, in Boulder have. I know actually a lot of people all around the country have. Um, but how did you get to say, hey, you know what? This needs to be a, a thing that I'm doing every time I'm interacting with people. This needs to be the forefront of what I'm all about. I think I realized that people are craving connectivity. They want connection, genuine connection with each other. And as things moved as the, as the future of work changed from in office to remote into hybrid, all of a sudden people are lonely and they want this genuine connection. So I started looking at the trends and, you know, I, because I was a big company guy, I went to all these meetings, right? And you fly to these amazing destinations and I'd get home and my wife would be like, how'd it go? You know, how was the Bahamas or how is what fill in the city? It didn't matter. It's like, well, I don't know because I was in this conference room looking at PowerPoint slides and she's yeah. like, what? Right. He, we know what those are like. And I also realized that, you know, alcohol and, and, and look, I'll, I'll have a few drinks and it's fine. But what I realized is in corporate America, like alcohol had been used as a crutch to help people form connections because they didn't know how to have more genuine connections. I think that's all going away. And I think what people want, when they have these meetings, they get together and they do their quarterly offsite, and whatever. It's not boozing it up at the bar. They want genuine connection. And that has become a movement that I want to start. I want to have people think differently, act differently, and ask better questions so that we can get to the feeling and the emotion. Because if we can do that, we can build trust. And if we can build trust, we're going to have healthy conflict. You know that Lencioni, five dysfunction of a team? Mm-hmm. Build trust, healthy conflict, commitment, actions, results, all of it. 
but it starts with trust. And that's how we build trust through vulnerability, authenticity. And we just use nature almost like a silent partner. I like that. Nature is a silent partner to build trust. Sure. And so, so you then, uh, uh, you then wrote a book, which, uh, I've got right here also called business outside and tell us about the process of writing the book. This is where, uh, I saw there was that, uh, zip code strategy. There's the bell curve of, you know, our, our comfort zones. Uh, you also write in here about things like minimizing regret. So how to live yeah. life in a way that is, is, uh, regret minimizing. Tell us about the process of writing the book, how yeah. the ideas came to you and what else is in here. The, so the tagline is discover your path forward. Yeah. And it's really a modern trail guide to living a more intentional life. And I was, I didn't have an intention of writing a book and I would go on these, these hikes and people would meet me in my house. We hiked the trail and I would share with them and I would draw that bell curve in the dirt. Uh, and they, they would always say, you got to write this down. This is a book. You got to write this down. And finally, um, there's a guy, Jim Warner in town. You might know he's a coach and he and I are walking and he said, Bart, you, instead of thinking about and hoping and wishing and, and just contemplating, he's like, just change the word to commit. And I think it was January 6th of, I don't know, a couple, two or three years ago, I committed to writing a book. So that's how that, that started in that process. Cool. Um, I wrote the, basically I was with a guy uh, his name's Rob Mossman, and he and I were coming back from Silverton. We had a five or six hour drive, and I shared with him the outline of the book. We went through chapter by chapter, and I just wrote down 15, 16 chapters, and then found a team that can help me um, put it together. And that's how it, that's how it, it's about an 18 month process. Wow. Uh, very, very cool. It's always inspiring to see people who go through the work to to put out their own book and to distill their ideas down. Let's talk about some of the ideas that are in there. Tell us about regret minimization. So that one I learned from Jeff Bezos. Uh, they asked him, you know, how did you give up this awesome job in New York and move across the country to Seattle and start Amazon? He said, look, at, he likes to look at his life as if he's 80 and he looks backwards and wants to minimize as many regrets as he has. And I read that maybe 15 years ago, maybe longer, 20, when, before I left, um, before I left Kellogg the first time. So that's a piece of the story I, I left out. I joined an internet grocery firm. You probably have heard of Instacart. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. We were Instacart 15 years too early. Uh, we weren't Instacart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had just won at Kellogg's. I had won the national salesman of the year. Like it was a big deal. I was the youngest person to ever win this thing. Yeah. I was flying high. I was on this growth track and I left and my mom, my dad, all these people were like, you're crazy. And I left because I read this article and it was in fast company magazine and Jeff Bezos talked about regret minimization. And ever since then, it's been a big cornerstone of my life to every time I'm faced with a big decision, I say, okay, which one am I going to regret more doing it or not doing it? And in that case, I would have regretted not joining that startup. Mm -hmm. I would have regretted not leaving Novartis and starting solo health. I would have regretted not moving to Boulder and giving up everything in Atlanta. I would have regretted not writing the book. So regret minimization is about, look, it's a framework of how to make a tough decision. 
when you're talking about that, it reminds me of another book that I heard of from you, which is Die With Zero. And, uh, you know, same idea of how do I make sure I'm making the best use of my life while I am living it? <laughs> Basically meaning while I am healthy and able to do all these things that I care about or that I want to go out there and experience in the world. Uh, so many of us get stuck in this hamster wheel of, no, just keep going, do the corporate thing or kind of, you know, not willing to take the risks to create the life that we're looking for. When this happens, then I'll do this. When I get this much money, right? When I have that, no, no. Because what he talks about in Die With Zero is there's three things that are finite, right? Time, money, and health. So you might have the money and you might have the time, but it, if you don't have the health, I read an article actually today. It said, I think it was Michael Easter. He wrote the book, The Comfort Crisis. You might know. He posted something that said that the average person actually lives to 64 point something uh, healthy. And then you live another nine years not healthy. He said, so when people look at their lifespan, he said, you got to look at the healthy stuff because that, that last nine years, that's shit. <laughs> right? So and in the book, Die With Zero, he talks about that. We actually die several times throughout our life. There's different deaths. And that might be a little bit morbid, but you get the point. And it's it's essentially mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm going to be an empty nester. That period in my – that is gone. Right. So I am maximum. – I'm not going to miss a game. I'm trying to have dinner with my son and all these things because it's gone. And then I enter a new one, and the new one's going to be really cool. I mean, with my wife, we're going to travel and everything else. But So you go through these different periods, but health, money, and time. And if we think about how do we calibrate to maximize our life energy, that's what I'm trying to do. Another one of the topics that comes front and center in the book is defining your personal values and how that can be such a helpful compass for people. Mm. Uh, how do you, how does one go about this? What are the uh, what are the questions that you can ask? What are the ways that you can start to think about this to come up with the real values, meaning you know the ones that you actually care about, not the ones that you think society yeah. wants you to have. So, you know, I've learned over the last three or four years and since writing a book, there's all different methodologies and things about values and what do values mean? And there's different ways to arrive at it. For me, what I did is I had these cards and there were 78 cards. And you sort them into a pile and which ones mean the most to you. And you narrow them down to 20, you narrow them down to 15. We put them into a pyramid with the number one value at the top all the way down. And it helped me understand what I really value in life. And I've taken a a variation of that. I put it in the book and it's a checklist and you kind of go through and you check them off. It's not an exact science, but it gets you pretty close. And then what I did is I looked at those and said, okay, I'm going to create a personal value statement. And in fact, I, I don't know if you can see my, my living back there in the, okay. there, back there. Um, because I framed it because for me, it became like my North star. And whenever I'm faced with a tough decision, I can look and say, the other thing that's cool is once you know what your values are, and I'll do this when I do keynotes in front of a big audience and things, I'll say, hey, guys, write down those top six values, whatever. Okay, now I want you to rank them one through five. One is never and five is always. In the last six months, how much have you leaned into that particular value? And I'll say, okay, does anybody have all five? Nobody. Usually like one person, a group of 200, because it's some somebody that's super enlightened and they're just living it. but. For the most part, twos, threes, four, you know, and I'll say, guys, these are not my values. These are your values. And if you value it, we might have to recalibrate. So 
what I learned is if I could figure out how to create a life that's aligned with my values and is aligned with my zone of genius, which I know you have Gay Hendricks on, big fan. He came up with that zone of genius. If I could combine those two, value zone of genius, that's when I'm going to be the happiest, the healthiest, most productive. So that, to me, is living an intentional life that's happening by me instead of to me. Absolutely. Tell us what your personal value statement says. I value personal freedom, which allows me to lead an active and healthy life full of adventure. I will build authentic and loving relationships with friends and family. And I will fulfill myself through curiosity, personal growth, and lifelong learning. That's me. That's a great one. That's a great one. I love it. Uh, I know that you have uh, gotten resources from lots of different uh, lots of different places along your entrepreneurial journey. And I know that a group that you work quite a lot with is YPO. Uh, for people who don't know, share what YPO is and how it can benefit an entrepreneur to be a part of these peer support groups like that. Sure. So YPO is an international organization. I think there's over 32,000 members across the world to get in with revenue and employees and so forth. Why is young president's organization? So I believe the the cutoff is like 42, something like that, maybe 45. But it's essentially people in their 30s and 40s, young 40s, that in some 20s, that are running businesses. Uh, a third of YPO members are family-run businesses. A third are what you call hired gun. And a third are entrepreneurs. Uh, I fell into the entrepreneur category. Uh, once I qualified for YPO, I joined. This is like 12, 14 years ago. But a cornerstone of YPO is something called Forum. And there's groups of 8 to 10. They meet on a monthly basis. And you share family, personal business. And for me, it's become like a personal board of directors. Now, what I realized, and, and you know, it's all confidential. You can be very vulnerable. You just put it all out there. And you have these a diverse group of peers that can help and support you. Because the higher up you get, the lonelier it gets, right? But what I realized is you don't have to be in YPO to have this you just have to be intentional. And so there's all kinds of different organizations and groups popping up. And actually a big part of business outside now is, is I actually run forum groups of CEOs to, to have these intimate conversations, but you know, there's EO, there's Vistage, there's, there's a lot of different models out there. Uh, but it's a powerful uh, organization that has helped me personally. So a sub brand that we've created is called forum outside and it's, it's doing forum a little bit differently. So forum right. outside is, and we put a lot of tips and tools and, and things of how to, how to do that. Uh, very cool. You know, a lot, a lot of the benefit of these groups is just realizing that you're not alone. So you might be, you know, in a certain situation. And if you're like me, you get stuck in your head, right? I get stuck in my head about stuff. And then when I don't have the ability to go talk to someone or ask questions, then I just find myself kind of getting stuck in a loop. So to me, the benefit's always been, Go meet with peers and use this as a place to realize, oh, others have gone through these same issues and challenges as me. Shared experiences, not advice. Right. So we say to have empathy, not judge. So there's, you want to have no judgment and just say, hey, this is what happened to me. And here's how I handled it. And then you get to make the own decision. That's not normally how we're wired. 
right? We're usually, hey, Alex, that's tough. You should do that. No, there's no I should. It's shared experiences. Now, let's say that someone listening to this podcast gets really inspired by the the idea of getting out and walking with uh, with friends or people that they know or connections, and they want to build authentic relationships, and they want to ask those deep and meaningful questions, and they go grab a, grab a buddy and, and go out for a hike. What do you see to be the best ways to get deep fast? Like, what are the best questions to ask? You you already shared how you will approach with things that went went on in, in your business life and, and be vulnerable first. And if I'm in question asking mode, where, what are the places to start? I will give you a link that you can put in the show notes and people can download a whole list. And we, we put them into three different buckets, level one, two, and three. Level one, I wouldn't say they're superficial, but you could pretty much ask anybody. And a level one question is something like, um, what's something you celebrated or you're proud of over the last six months, Right. Uh, a level two could be something like um, what's giving you energy, what's zapping your energy right now. Uh, or a level three could be, what do you want your legacy to be? Right. And there's different levels of questions all, all throughout that. Okay, cool. Good. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll link that up. And I think that's going to be a very val- valuable resource for people who want to take this on themselves. Bart, as we uh, get ready to to wrap up this episode, I've got a, few questions that I like to ask of the guests who appear on the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. You obviously were a part of the event that we had last year in June, so you know the community. You very graciously hosted a, a connection hike on the day before the event, which was really well attended and got amazing feedback on as well. So you've had exposure to the community. What's your definition of a conscious entrepreneur? I think authenticity is a word that comes to mind for me. Uh, being real, being yourself, being genuine. Vulnerability is similar to authenticity, but a little bit different. It's it's vulnerability. It's taking care of yourself, being self-reflective, realizing that you don't have to have all the answers and being humble, yet focusing on yourself first because it's hard. And the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit is to me, or the word, the conscious entrepreneur to me is, is somebody that's, it's not just focused on the bottom line. They're not just focused on return for their investors. They actually want to do something good, not just for themselves, but for humanity. Great. Thank you. And what are your daily sort of routines? What are the things that you do to maintain positive mindset, health, uh, and to get get through all the many hats that you wear and all the many roles that you have, um, what does a day, day, week, month look like for you? I never set an alarm, but I always have an intention and I have my clothes ready to go for whatever I'm going to do that day. And I get up, I have two glasses of water, and then I do some breath work. And I have an app that I download and I can do some breath work. And sometimes it's six minutes, sometimes it's 15 and then I'll do some yoga and some stretching and, and then I'll do some exercise. And I try to do all, I don't always, I'm not always successful. I try to do all of that before I look at my phone. Uh, and then I try to get some sunlight in my eyes, get outside, get a little fresh air. And then I'm ready to go. Um, by the time two or three o'clock rolls around, like right now, almost, uh, I start to fade. 
so I get up pretty early, get all my stuff done, and um, yeah, it helps. Uh, how many how many days uh, a week do you typically go for a hike? Oh, it's probably three, three or four. Um, and if it's not hiking, I'm you know skinning up the mountain uh, on skis or yeah, doing you know I like to swim as well, I like to swim outside. I'd love to be outside as much as I can. I feel like, you know, humans, we've been on earth 2 million years, but it's, it's for 1,997,000 years, we were outside. It's only in the last 300. We had this migration indoors and our, our bodies weren't meant for that. So I, I just feel it's more alive when I'm outside. Absolutely. Uh, and then finally, what are the top uh, tips or resources that you recommend to entrepreneurs? Like what, what's the book that you most give away or the videos that you most watch? Uh, you know, now I've been giving my book out because so many of the things that I've cultivated over the years is, is, is in there. Yeah. So I, this is outside. Um, I would say, you know, the dig your well before you're thirsty was a pivotal. That's one that I gave out a lot. I got it when I was 21. It was written by a guy named Harvey McKay. It's a little outdated now, but one of the, the premises is build relationships way before you ever need them. Uh, I think the piece that probably needs to be updated there is there's not a lot on the emotion and the uh, vulnerability and the authenticity. It's more, more transactional, like collecting things. So I don't necessarily like that part, but the, the premise is good of building these relationships because now, um, you know, half the ideas that come to me and half the business, it, it's all just coming. It's all word of mouth, but it's, it was 25 years of cultivating these relationships and keeping in touch with people that I genuinely care about. Any other messages for our guests? So on the hike that we did at your Conscious Entrepreneur Summit, one of the activities that we did, and I don't know if you heard about this, but we did these gratitude videos. And I asked people to think about who's a person in your life that you're really grateful for that maybe made a big impact on you at a fork in the road, right? We all had forks in the road and people made a big impact. And I asked them to think about what did they say and how did they make you feel? And, and then I said, hey, let's take out our phone and I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you a few minutes and I want you to go record a selfie video and I want you to send it. And what happened is, and I, and I do this a lot, is it creates a gratitude loop because most people, they don't realize the impact that they make on us. So if your guests and the people listening are open to it, here's the challenge. I want you to think about someone in your life you're grateful for. I want you to go outside, get into a nice, comfortable spot, and record a short selfie video. And if you want, blame it on me and say, hey, I heard this podcast and this weird guy from Boulder and Alex said this is fun. Fine. Blame it on me. But I promise you, just send it. And then if you get a response back, I'd love, or Alex, you know, both of us, put it in the show notes. And let's create a little movement because I think we have an opportunity and gratitude is so strong and powerful, but it's the selfie video that nobody does. And it cuts through the clutter. You get to the feeling, the emotion. And I'd love us all to do that. Gratitude videos. Let's do it. Thanks so much for that suggestion. Fantastic. Um, well, hey, uh, Bart, it's such an inspiration to hear you talk about the various transitions in your life, starting business, the challenges that came with that coming back and, and doing a really, really great service for entrepreneurs and uh, leaders via Business Outside. So it's great to hear that. Uh, super appreciate you coming and joining 
us on the podcast. And uh, I think everyone's going to look forward to learning more about how to do business outside. Thanks so much, Barb. It's been great, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur. If you're ready to go deeper into working on yourself, check out the upcoming events, articles, and resources on our website, which is ConsciousEntrepreneur.us. I'd also really like to thank the team at Hivecast for producing this episode. If you run a podcast and are looking for an awesome, full-service production company, make sure to check out Hivecast.